0: It's time for the letter of the day. This episode of My Seminary Life is brought to you by the letter Ada. Ada is for ethos, the letter Ada. Welcome back to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight. This is our brand new series, Ancient Greece, where in every episode we're looking at how the ancient Greek empire, classical Greek, has affected the context of the New Testament and our own culture today through uh, looking at philosophy like we are in today's episode, mythology, politics, classical literature, Sparta, a whole bunch of different ways that we're going to be talking about this topic. And like I said, today we're going to be looking at ancient Greek philosophy, specifically the big three philosophers, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. Before we get into this episode, though, I did want to make a quick comment that last week when I was talking about ways that our current culture, our current context, has been affected by Greek culture, one thing that I completely left out was the fact that the Olympics exist. the The Olympics is a phenomenon that happens once every four years or once every two years when you count the Winter Games. It's uh, that originated in ancient Greece. This was a whole thing going on actually during the famous Battle of Thermopylae uh, between the Spartans and Persia. The Olympic Games would have been going on at that time, so. Yes, that is another way that we experience Greek culture, the impact of ancient Greece still today through the existence of the Olympics. But like I said, today we're going to be looking at philosophy. Now, the topic of philosophy is, in its own right, its own series. Actually, it's Several series that we could do here on the show, Uh, whether we're talking about philosophy, like an intro to philosophy, there would be that ethics. Uh, we could talk about just one of the three guys that we're going to be talking about today for an entire series. We could talk about Aristotle's ethics for an entire series. Like there's a lot of ways that this topic could be handled, could be um, served up to you all. So today's episode is going to be very introductory. Again, we're looking at the big three and their impact on Greek ph- on greece on greek philosophy and how that gets carried out till today you know this is socrates or socrates as bill and ted would say is the Founder of Western philosophy. Philosophers existed prior to Socrates, but this is, he is the first guy who sets it all in motion to where we get to today. Would Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle agree with a lot of the philosophical postmodernism that we have in our world today? I don't know. There would probably be some things that they would like, some things that they would argue against. But you cannot get to the philosophical world that we live in now without these three guys. In R.C. Sproul's book, Consequences of Ideas, he walks through like mainly philosophers. There's a couple other people in there. Darwin is thrown in there. Sigmund Freud is thrown in there. People who... You know, these people who have risen up within, throughout history uh, with their ideas, with their view of the world, and how they were able to influence people with their views. And it all goes back to the original stepping stones of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. So how does Greek philosophy, though, affect the New Testament? Well, that's a Trickier one. Although we do see Stoics in the New Testament, Stoics do show up. This was a branch of Greek philosophy. Broadly speaking, we don't really have very specific moments where it's like, and then a philosopher of the Aristotle, school, walked up to Jesus and said. Like, we don't really have that. We're going to talk more next week, in next week's episode, on Acts 17, which is when Paul shows up in Athens uh, to preach the gospel. And one of my favorite lines in this story, it's one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite lines in this story is that uh, Paul surveys the area and concludes that they are very religious and you know, Athens was the height of art, culture, and philosophy in ancient Greece. Sparta was, of course, more so no- known for their warfare, but both had art and culture, both had warfare things, uh, but each one had like a specialty. And here in this story in Acts 17, we see another great line is the fact that uh, the sport of the day, I'm paraphrasing here, the sport of the day was arguing, wasn't arguing, but listening to new ideas. When Socrates is on the scene, the sport of the day is arguing. But when Paul shows up years, hundreds of years later, um, the sport of the day is, Is listening to new ideas. So, although we may not have specific moments where we can point to and say, here, this is where Greek philosophy shows up in the New Testament, it is there in the wider context. You know, people are thinking and discussing thoughts and perspective. This is, you know, this is something that. Philosophy exists for a reason. You know, let's take a moment and talk about what that word even means. What is philosophy? Philosophy is two Greek words put together that means the love of wisdom, you know? And people want to live a wise life. How we get wisdom is discussed, has been discussed throughout throughout history. You know, the Jewish people with their... uh, Wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, areas of the Psalms, Job. Uh, for them with to receive wisdom, and for us as Christians to receive wisdom, is to seek God, to seek God in prayer, to to have the fear of God above all things. And wisdom itself looks like a practical a practicality to it right that's all very old testament but that is what wisdom is and some people would say you know you know they're street wise or something that like they have wisdom because they've lived a lot of life and that's where real wisdom is found not in studying of books you know philosophy i talked about this a little bit recently i believe that Philosophy like theology and art and rhetoric, all of the liberal arts types of uh, programs, humanities, for example, um, all of these kinds of programs are oftentimes dismissed. I talked about this in a YouTube video. That's what it was. Uh, All of these are oftentimes dismissed for um, not being very practical. It's all just very much head knowledge. The thing is, though, is that for the ancient Greeks that's not what wisdom was that's not what philosophy was you know for the ancient Greeks the the point of doing philosophy was to seek truth that was the end goal it was to seek and to find wi- uh, to find truth in life epistemology the study of truth always leads to ethics or ethos, which is um, actions based on beliefs. So this is why this is what the philosophers were seeking seeking. This is what uh, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, that's what these men were looking for. They were seeking truth and through studying truth, their beliefs led them to action. That is what philosophy is supposed to be. It's a love of wisdom. It's seeking truth and having that truth shape you and living it out. It's not just a head knowledge. This idea that philosophy is just head knowledge is either a misrepresentation or, in some cases, it's a misrepresentation of what philosophy is supposed to be, or it's in inaccurately being used by the student, by the philosopher. You know, it is supposed to be much like Jewish wisdom literature. It is supposed to be practical. Still, you are seeking truth, internalizing it. And through your beliefs, then living a very specific ethical ethos way. So let's start now looking at these three guys. Socrates was a realist and skeptic of power and authority, and that's going to get him in trouble later, not to spoil the ending of the story. Uh, His rivals were a group of people called the Uh, Sophists. Like I said, the sport of the day during Socrates' time was arguing when Paul shows up, it's listening. But when Socrates is around, it's arguing. People love to argue, particularly the sophists. And for the sophists, they didn't care what they were arguing for. They just wanted to be right. And it's amazing how some things just don't go away because there are still people (laughs) who will argue just to be right, even if they don't even really believe the thing that they are arguing for. But Socrates, being a philosopher who loved truth, he would engage these these sophists in discussion, and he would use the Socratic method, also known as diactic method, where basically it's just rapid-fire question after question after question to each statement that is given from your verbal sparring partner with the intention of through these uh, questions, the person who is giving the response responses begins to realize the errors in their belief system, in their um the errors within their argumentation, and then from that, be able to suss out the actual truth within their thoughts and within their claims. That's how Socrates would engage these conversations again, because for him, it wasn't about winning. That's what the sophists wanted for him. He wanted the truth for classical philosophers, the big question wasn't, how do I gain more power? That was what the sophists wanted. They wanted more power. They wanted to feel powerful. That wasn't the big question. And it also wasn't, the, the big question was not, what is the meaning of life? That is often the assumption of people have that philosophers are spending hours and hours discussing of what is the meaning of life if anything that's more so my world of existentialism that deals with this question of what is the meaning or does life have meaning but for the classical philosopher the big question was what is truth and is it attainable and what we're going to see here with Socrates and Plato and also Aristotle is that Through logic, through dialoguing, through questioning, we begin to gain some of that truth and be able to realize that, oh, it is somewhat attainable here in this life. It's also worth pointing out, as we talked about briefly in last week's episode, this is where we get into this idea that classical Greek philosophy was similar to the Greeks, what the Jewish law was to the Jewish people, that it was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. What is truth and is it attainable? The answer is yes, but it's not in the way that the Greeks were seeking it. It it was in Jesus, right? We actually know very little about who Socrates was period Um, he didn't write anything all that we know about him that he was an Athenian who was born right around 470 BC and died around 399 all all the little information that we do know about him comes from his disciple Plato in his book Dialogues Plato was real big on his Jedi Master Socrates and all that we know about him comes from whatever Plato wrote down in dialogues and in other places about Socrates. As I mentioned back at the beginning, um, Socrates was a skeptic, particularly towards power and authority. He was not. He was not into the idea of blind allegiance or having faith without any kind of knowledge, and because of that, uh, he got in some trouble with the government the government labeled him a rebel put him on trial found him guilty and sentenced him to death by drinking hemlock so a couple things about that first off it is amazing that throughout history we continue still even to this day to have these instances where people who are willing to encourage people to ask questions and to think for themselves are demonized. You know, and I know that's a very broad statement and there have been times in very recent history, just go back 3 years, where people were encouraging people to think for themselves and to ask questions and with malicious intent behind it. But overall, you know, I look more so towards the people who are deconstructing their faith who encourages other people to ask questions and to think for themselves. And they are immediately written off as heretics and evil people and that they should just go to church and be in church and church is the solution. Cause obviously when you've experienced traumatic amount of church hurt, going to church is the solution. But the other thing about this is like, who comes up with the idea of making someone drink hemlock as a, as their like, death penalty who throws a shoe really like was the javelin guy who normally does the execution like on vacation who's just sitting around I guess the thing about hemlock would be like you, you are getting a guaranteed result right like he's he's gonna die right so yeah just because Socrates was skeptical towards power and authority he was ultimately killed by said power Authority through skeptic- skepticism, questioning, and logic, Socrates-, Socrates concluded that there was an uncreated God, one uncreated God, who created all things, was pure goodness, could communicate that goodness to his creation and that creation could become virtuous and be able to teach that goodness to other people. Again, this gets back into the idea of the Greek philosophy being so close and fulfilled within Jesus, right? We have here, I think the thing that uh, stands out a lot to me in this, and you're going to see this also with Plato and Aristotle, is this idea that there is one, a monotheistic God, because the Greeks, as we're going to talk about next week's episode, were polytheistic. They had gods all over the place, Zeus and Hermes and all the wretch, all the rest of them. Watch a Hercules movie sometime, or watch the movie we're going to talk about next week. There's a whole bunch of gods in the Greek pantheon, but... Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, they all are going to argue for a monotheistic God who may not exactly look like our God, Yahweh, a triune God, but he's, they're getting there. Uncreated, who created all things, who is all goodness and If he is all goodness, he can communicate that goodness to us, and we can become virtuous and be able to teach that virtue to other people. That's like a very simplistic understanding of what Christianity is. After Socrates comes Plato. Plato was Socrates' most famous pupil. He was a philosopher and mathematician, because those things just kind of went together back in the day. Um, Plato saw reality as a shadow of a greater reality, not an illusion. Don't think matrix, please don't think the matrix here, but it was a shadow of something that reality is a shadow of something greater. Uh, something greater was just beyond this plane. His book, the Republic covers this, um, covers this in depth and this is where the cave illustration comes from. Maybe you've heard the cave illustration before. I think it's, I've heard it in sermons. It's this idea that if you lived in a cave and your entire perception of what the outside world looks like comes from shadows that are being cast into the cave, then the question becomes, do you really know what reality is like? And Plato would say, no, no, you don't. You know a shadow of what reality really could be. And that was his perception of reality. We see the shadows of a greater reality beyond our world. And again, don't think that he is talking about illusion that reality is an illusion there are two things that are so millennial that they make me gag nowadays one of them is the matrix it's a fine movie but the whole reality is an illusion thing it's just beaten to death please stop talking about it and the other one is every time in how i met your mother they talk about the universe is trying to send a message like no it's not stop it those <laughs> This is how I know that I'm a millennial at the end of the assembly line, like the very last model to roll off the conveyor belt, because it's just like those things that it's just like cringy and edgy for no reason. That's not what Plato is getting into here. We're not talking about an illusion. We're not talking about the universe sending a message. Definitely not talking about that one. Um, But maybe I could put it this way instead of sitting in a cave, because why would any of us spend any time in a cave? Let's put it this way. Let's say you've you you you've lived your entire life in your house. You've never left your house once. And your entire perception of what reality is like outside of your house comes from watching Jersey Shore. Your entire perception of of what reality is like outside of your four walls. It comes from reality television, Jersey shore, the bachelor, um, big brother, any of those kind of reality shows, real housewives, like any of those types of reality shows, that is how you have formed your perception of what reality is like outside of your house. Is that really real? is reality television really reality? And the answer is well, no. Maybe there's moments of reality within reality shows, but overwhelmingly they're somewhat scripted producer influence. You know, there's stuff that goes on that is being contrived in order to happen. So that way there's some type of reason for people to watch, you know, My life is being at my house, doing chores, keeping producer Cooper alive, all while Elmo is talking to us. Like, that's not good television. Jersey Shore is, to some people, good television. The Bachelor is a very popular franchise in my household. Like, this is good television, but it's not reality. And that's basically what Plato is getting at here, is that sometimes we have... Is that... Not sometimes... In Plato's framework, philosophical framework, we are living in a world that there is something greater beyond it. We have a shadow of reality now, and there's a greater reality beyond this plane. A lot of this has to do with the mind and perception, clearly. He's not necessarily arguing for like a. spiritual fulfillment of these things although again this all does sound very vaguely familiar to when paul talks about in romans how all of creation groans for the final restoration but we're we're knocking at the door we are moving that direction as a realist and dualist Plato believed that man's logic and perception proved a greater being existed, which makes sense. If he's talking about how there's a greater reality, there would also be a greater being as well. uh, And that shadows of real eternal things point to a greater being. So because of the reality, Reality, the framework that he is working with here with shadows, this would then imply that there is a greater reality being beyond this as well. So, again, not exactly our God, but he is a greater being. We talk about Jesus being the true man, the true Messiah, the true man, right? Like, we We have these elements within Christianity, and Plato is getting there, but doesn't fully arrive at his destination. Of course, if you couple this with Socrates and a little bit of what Aristotle is going to say here in a moment, you are getting a very fleshed-out God here. And speaking of Aristotle, let's go ahead and talk about him. Aristotle was Plato's most famous student. Uh, he He introduced... Empiricism to the philosophical world. Uh, simply put, empiricism is similar to the scientific method, but for philosophy. It's a very simplistic understanding of empiricism. Um, reasoning and questioning was is like the science part, and logic was the analysis element. And that's all I'm going to say right now about empiricism. But we're going to talk more about it here in a few weeks. You may have saw it on social media, but for the it, for those of you who missed it, we have, for the second time this year, broken the downloads goal. So give yourself a pat on the back and a round of applause, because this was all you. All I do is show up and record and listen to it once. You all listen to it all the rest of the times. Um and because of that, we're going to have a live stream hangout over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash life. And as opposed to previous times when we've done these live stream hangouts where it's just kind of like me talking about random things for 40 minutes, it's going to be specifically focused on... A topic related to the series that we're currently in, so it's basically a YouTube exclusive episode. Uh, it's going to be all about empiricism and how it, uh, what it is, and how we as Christians today use it in, uh, particularly in ethics and apologetics. Um, so yeah, that's going to be coming out. There is an event. Uh, posted on the face on our Facebook page. So make sure you go to our Facebook page. Hit that you are interested, but preferably going. And make sure you go over to our YouTube channel if you haven't yet already and subscribe and enable notifications so you don't miss when that live happens. Cool. So more on appearance, empiricism. I'm tired and probably saying it wrong. So I'll practice by the time we get to the live stream. Aristotle used logic. There's that logic word again. To conclude that um, prototypes, interesting word there, prototypes need a design which demands a designer separate from the design. In other words, Aristotle introduces a very uh, early, simple idea of intelligent design, which is part of our um, creation belief of God being an intelligent designer and things not coming out of uh, disorder and chaos, but God intelligently putting everything together. And this goes, can be traced all the way back to Aristotle. Ain't that interesting? One last comment on these three fellows before we start to wrap up this episode And it's the fact that I think it's really cool how Socrates begot Plato and Plato begot Aristotle and, you know, you have the, by this point, you have the schools in Athens being developed and so on and so forth. What I think is really cool is that these three guys really loved and respected each other, particularly, like I said, Plato to Socrates, but each one of them comes at this very differently they studied under their master but then took it in their own way took it in their own direction and i th- i think this speaks to an important element for us as christians when it comes to discipleship because this is kind of how the whole schooling thing worked back in greece with like small groups and discipleship um you have this you we have this command in scripture from Paul, to imitate him as he is imitating Christ. He tells that to the church in Corinth. And I think sometimes when we think about discipleship, like we know that the end goal is Jesus, but I know at least for myself, maybe I'll just speak for myself. Sometimes I get into this headspace where I'm trying to create me in another person, right? But that's not how this works. Like we are shaping them towards Jesus. And obviously I'm going to pass my knowledge and my skills and imprint upon the people that I'm ministering to and discipling, but they are then going to go in their own direction with things. You know, they're going to grow and explore their own faith in their own ways and be smarter than me in different ways. They're going to have perspectives and approaches to God that I don't have. And, that's okay. And I think we need to remember that like Jesus is sanctifying the church and that the church is composed of all these different people. And we're not trying to just robotically turn out carbon copies of each other, but sanctifying being a part of people's spiritual growth in a way where they are becoming like Jesus. They aren't becoming another Brandon, they're becoming like Jesus. And yeah, that's like I said, I think it's really cool that you see this with Socrates, Plato and Aristotle that even though they all came from, you know, they came from each other, they, you know, studied under each other and yet They all kind of end up in different places and in different perspectives when it comes to philosophy. And I think we can see that within our faith as well with how we do discipleship. That's it for today's episode. I did an earlier recording, so I'm tired of talking and can't really focus bad, bad, uh, anxiety lately starting to lose focus. I have to like close my eyes while I'm recording right now. So let's just go ahead and start wrapping this up. Thank you all for listening and thank you all for checking out last week's episode. It's I I appreciate it. It looks like a lot of you trusted me and said when I asked, Hey, just give this first episode a try for this ancient Greece series and see what you think and y'all did, and I appreciate that, and please come back, because we got some fun episodes on the way. I'll tell you about that here in a second, Um, but as always, if you haven't yet already, please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you really enjoyed this episode, then please consider sharing it with a friend, and heading on over to buymeacoffee.com slash mslpod where you can send a one-time donation to the show or subscribe to one of our monthly tiers. Everyone who subscribes to the $9 a month tier uh, gets a shout out here on the show. So thank you, Lori, for supporting the show. Like I said, we got something fun on the horizon for you all next week. We're going to be talking about Greek mythology, but through a very unique lens. I've invited some of my friends from Systematic Ecology, also available here on the AMP Podcast Network. They're coming over to talk about the classic 1981 film, Clash of the Titans. You heard me right, folks. Clash of of the Titans. You know, that movie with the mechanical owl. Yeah, producer Cooper and I watched it. We had a great time, and we're going to talk about it. Cooper's not in the episode. Sorry. He might help. He's helping out with another episode. That's coming out later, though. But as always, this is Brandon signing off, reminding you that theology is for everyone, so keep on studying.